0: letter forty-three of clarissa harlowe volume two this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by nicole lee clarissa harlowe volume two by samuel richardson letter forty-three miss howe to miss clarissa harlowe saturday afternoon by your last date of ten o'clock in your letter of this day you could not long have deposited it before robin took it he wrote hard and brought it to me just as i had risen from table you may justly blame me for sending my messenger empty-handed your situation considered and yet that very situation so critical is partly the reason for it for indeed i knew not what to write fit to send you i have been inquiring privately how to procure you a conveyance from Harlowe place and yet not appear in it knowing that to oblige in the fact and to disoblige in the manner is but obliging by halves my mother being moreover very suspicious and very uneasy made more so by daily visits from your uncle Antony, who tells her that everything is now upon the point of being determined, and hopes that her daughter will not so interfere as to discourage your compliance with their wills. This I came at by a way that I cannot take notice of, or both should hear of it in a manner neither would like, and without that my mother and I have had almost hourly bickerings. I found more difficulty than I expected, as the time was confined, and secrecy required, and as you so earnestly forbid me to accompany you in your enterprise, in procuring you a vehicle. Had you not obliged me to keep measures with my mother, I could have managed it with ease. I could even have taken our own chariot on one pretence or other, and put two horses extraordinary to it, if I had thought fit, and I could, when we had got to London, have sent it back, and nobody the wiser as to the lodgings we might have taken. I wish to the Lord you had permitted this. Indeed, I think you are too punctilious a great deal for your situation. Would you expect to enjoy yourself with your usual placidness, and not to be ruffled, in an hurricane which every moment threatens to blow your house down? Had your distress sprung from yourself, that would have been another thing, but when all the world knows where to lay the fault, this alters the case. How can you say I am happy when my mother, to her power, is as much an better of their wickedness to my dearest friend as your aunt or anybody else, and this through the instigation of that odd-headed and foolish uncle of yours, who, sorry creature that he is, keeps her up to resolutions which are unworthy of her, for an example to me, if it please you. Is not this cause enough for me to ground a resentment upon, sufficient to justify me for accompanying you, the friendship between us so well known? Indeed, my dear, the importance of the case considered, I must repeat that you are too nice. Don't they already think that your non compliance with their odious measures is owing a good deal to my advice? Have they not prohibited our correspondence upon that very surmise? And have I but on your account reason to value what they think? Besides, what discredit have I to fear by such a step? What detriment! Would Hickman, do you believe, refuse me upon it? If he did, should I be sorry for that? Who is it that has a soul, who would not be affected by such an instance of female friendship? But I should vex and disorder my mother. Well, that is something, but not more than she vexes and disorders me, on her being made an implement by such a sorry creature, who ambles hither every day in spite to my dearest friend. Woe be to both, if it be for a double end. Chide me, if you will. I don't care. I say, and I insist upon it, such a step would ennoble your friend, and if still you will permit it I will take the office out of Lovelace's hands, and to-morrow evening, or on Monday before his time of appointment takes place, will come in a chariot or chaise, and then, my dear, if we get off as I wish, will we make terms, and what terms we please, with them all. My mother will be glad to receive her daughter again, I warrant, and Hickman will cry for joy on my return, or he shall for sorrow.' But you are so very earnestly angry with me for proposing such a step, and have always so much to say for your side of any question, that I am afraid to urge it further. Only be so good, let me add, as to encourage me to resume it, if, upon further consideration, and upon weighing matters well, and in this light whether best to go off with me or with Lovelace, you can get over your punctilious regard for my reputation. A woman going away with a woman is not so discreditable a thing, surely, and with no view but to avoid the fellows. I say only to be so good as to consider this point, and if you can get over your scruples on my account, do, and so I will have done with this argument for the present, and apply myself to some of the passages in yours. A time, I hope, will come, that I shall be able to read your affecting narratives without the impatient bitterness which now boils over in my heart and would flow to my pen were I to enter into the particulars of what you write. And indeed I am afraid of giving you my advice at all, or telling you what i should do in your case supposing you will still refuse my offer finding too what you have been brought or rather driven to without it lest any evil should follow it in which case i should never forgive myself and this consideration has added to my difficulties in writing to you now you are upon such a crisis and yet refuse the only method but i said i would not for the present touch any more that string yet one word more chide me if you please if any harm betide you, I shall for ever blame my mother, indeed I shall, and perhaps yourself, if you do not accept my offer. But one thing, in your present situation and prospects, let me advise, it is this, that if you do go off with Mr. Lovelace, you take the first opportunity to marry. Why should you not, when everybody will know by whose assistance, and in whose company, you leave your father's house, go whithersoever you will? You may indeed keep him at a distance, until settlements are drawn, and such like matters are adjusted to your mind but even these are matters of less consideration in your particular case than they would be in that of most others and first because be his other faults what they will nobody thinks him an ungenerous man next because the possession of your estate must be given up to you as soon as your cousin morden comes who as your trustee will see it done and done upon proper terms thirdly because there is no want of fortune on his side fourthly because all his family value you and are extremely desirous that you should be their relation Fifthly, because he makes no scruple of accepting you without conditions. You see how he has always defied your relations. I, for my own part, can forgive him for the fault, nor know I if it be not a noble one. And I dare say he had rather call you his without a shilling, than be under obligation to those whom he has fullest little reason to love, as they have to love him. You have heard that his own relations cannot make his proud spirit submit to owe any favour to them. For all these reasons, I think, you may the less stand upon previous settlements, It is therefore my absolute opinion, that if you do withdraw with him, and in that case you must let him be judged when he can leave you with safety, you will observe that, you should not postpone the ceremony. Give this matter your most serious consideration. Punctilio is out of doors the moment you are out of your father's house. I know how justly severe you have been upon those inexcusable creatures, whose giddiness and even want of decency have made them, in the same hour as I may say, leap from a parent's window to a husband's bed but considering lovelace's character i repeat my opinion that your reputation in the eye of the world requires no delay be made in this point when once you are in his power i need not i am sure make a stronger plea to you you say in excuse for my mother what my fervent love for my friend very ill brooks that we ought not to blame any one for not doing what she has an opinion to do or to let alone this in cases of friendship would admit of very strict discussion if the thing requested be of greater consequence or even of equal to the person sought to, and it were, as the old phrase has it, to take a thorn out of one's friend's foot, to put into one's own. Something might be said, nay, it would be, I will venture to say, a selfish thing in us, to ask a favour of a friend, which would subject that friend to the same or equal inconvenience as that from which we wanted to be relieved. The requested would, in this case, teach his friend, by his own selfish example, with much better reason, to deny him, and despise a friendship so merely nominal but if by a less inconvenience to ourselves we could relieve our friend from a greater the refusal of such a favour makes the refuser unworthy of the name of friend nor would i admit such a one not even into the outermost fold of my heart i am well aware that this is your opinion of friendship as well as mine for i owe the distinction to you upon a certain occasion and it saved me from a very great inconvenience as you must needs remember but you were always for making excuses for other people in cases wherein you would not have allowed of one for yourself i must own that were these excuses for a friend's indifference or denial made by any body but you in a case of such vast importance to herself and of so comparative a small one to those for whose protection she would be thought to wish i who am for ever as you have often remarked endeavouring to trace effects to their causes should be ready to suspect that there was a latent unowned inclination which balancing or preponderating rather made the issue of the alternative, however important, sit more lightly upon the excuser's mind than she cared to own. You will understand me, my dear, but if you do not, it may be well for me. For I am afraid I shall have it from you, for but starting such a notion, or giving a hint which perhaps, as you did once in another case, you will reprimandingly call, not being able to forego the ostentation of sagacity, though at the expense of that tenderness which is due to friendship and charity. What signifies owning a fault without mending it, you will say, Very true, my dear, but you know I ever was a saucy creature, ever stood in need of great allowances. And I remember likewise that I ever had them from my dear Clarissa, nor do I doubt them now, for you know how much I love you. If it be possible, more than myself I love you. Believe me, my dear, and in consequence of that belief you will be able to judge how much I am affected by your present distressful and critical situation." which will not suffer me to pass by without a censure even that philosophy of temper in your own cause, which you have not in another's, and which all that know you ever admired you for. From this critical and distressful situation, it shall be my hourly prayers that you may be delivered, without blemish to that fair fame which has hitherto, like your heart, been unspotted. With this prayer, twenty times repeated, concludes your ever-affectionate Anna Howe. I hurried myself in writing this, and I hurry Robin away with it, that, in a situation so very critical, you may have all the time possible to consider what I have written, upon two points so very important, I will repeat them in a very few words, whether you choose not rather to go off with one of your own sex, with your Anna Howe, than with one of the other, with Mr. Lovelace, and if not, whether you should not marry him as soon as possible. End of letter 43